live from Naples. This is the morning break with Jane Ritter. And a very good morning, everyone, here, here in a very, very warm Naples. We're hitting 30 degrees already. What's the summer going to be like here? This morning, I have the wonderful Kath Billsborough here with me to talk about creating ELT materials creatively. Live from Naples, this is the morning break with Jane Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. And a very good morning to you all. So while I'm waiting for Kath to come in, um, I've got uh, another materials writer in the um, in the studio with me. Sylvina, good morning. Lovely to, to have you here. Um, I think I've found her. <laughs> there she is. Good morning, Sylv Sylvina. So lovely to have you here. And if you'd like to join in the conversation, do let me know. Kath, is that you? Uh, yes, it is. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. <laughs> yes, very, very. Um, yeah, I can hear you really, really well. How are you this morning? Good. I'm fine. I'm excited. And it's just lovely to see Sylvina listening in as well. That was a nice surprise. I've got my coffee. I've got my glass of water. And I've got my um, mint in case my throat or it goes a bit, you know, get a bit of coffee i had a really good tip from ann robinson actually about that um i had i did a webinar once and um i was literally losing my voice and she recommended to have um throat spray handy oh oh yeah i've never even heard of that of throat spray so i guess that's a thing yeah <laughs> yes um but i can guarantee it works um it's a I always worry with sweets, with sweets that I'm going to choke on them. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, exactly. It's, that that wouldn't be a good uh, sound for radio, would it? Throat no, spray is no. good. I've just made my first little note on my notepad by throat spray. I didn't expect to be writing that on my <laughs> on my little on my little notes. There you go. Um, stay where you are. Stay right there because. Um, the, I think the um, maybe your microphone's is a little bit close, but where okay, it is, where it's positioned right now is perfect. Okay. Anyway, let's get on to you. Um, you have been teaching or been in the ELT world for um, for many years, and you do a lot of different things. Um, this morning, I, I just wanted to say congratulations to ELT Footprint. Um, it's having a bit of a celebration <laughs> and it is <laughs> and I will go out and do some weeding I think <laughs> do three hours of weeding that will keep my mum happy to keep her off my back about the weeds <laughs> um, but today we're going to really focus on ELT materials and you have been an ELT materials writer for how many years well when I get asked that question, um, I always give the same answer. So I started teaching in 1987, and that is also when I started writing materials. So I would say I've been a materials writer, a writer also for, for 35 years. Obviously, when I started, it was for materials for my own classes, um, but I still consider now looking back i realize that i was a materials writer from the very beginning and i think most teachers are to more or less extent but definitely and what do they need to know about writing materials um i think that teachers know a lot already in in fact a lot of teachers know a lot more about what's needed in materials 
than professional materials writers who have stopped teaching and that might be a little bit um some people might not want to hear that but it's something that that i believe so what they need to know i think i think that just as with teaching and learning we have um certain um what's the word uh principles we also have principles for writing materials and they come from principles that we use for teaching and learning so i think the first thing that anyone should consider when they write in materials is you know what principles they are looking at or want to adhere to so you know what what are the aims what are the objectives what are the, why are they writing the materials who are they writing them for mm. and for me for me the key thing always is to keep things as simple as possible as clear as possible um and not to complicate things too much because we have a tendency i think to over complicate things and sometimes be too ambitious and i think we need to sometimes bring things back down to the basics and think about you know what 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 we want to achieve with our materials and then find the way to do it you do um you, you write a lot of primary materials do you think that th this idea of keeping things simple you've transferred from those primary materials possibly um i it's probably goes a little bit deeper than that with me because i think that i have um a tendency to get annoyed when things are overcomplicated in every aspect yeah you know when when you get when you only buy a buy something for your home you know that something's supposed to make your life easier and then you've you take out the instructions manual and you know you you just cannot make head nor tail of it and i always think why why does it need to be so complicated and i've always admired writers in 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 literature people like graham green for example mm. um he's i'm a big fan of of his work his his uh, all of his work really and what i think is good about his work is that he writes in a very simple way and he you, you can you can do complexity using simple language you don't need to you know sometimes i think people and i know i'm guilty of being guilty of it myself you know sometimes we're trying to be too clever and and there's really no need I, I, that reminds me of a really lovely quotation that i read once in a book um and the book was a book of short stories by chekhov mm and in the introduction to the book and i can't remember who wrote the introduction and i should look it up but he described um chekhov's stories as being perfect and beautiful and he compared them to intricate lace because what was left out was as equal of equal importance to what had been put in and that's that stayed with me um and i think that sometimes as materials writers we need to think about what we need to leave out mm. it's kind of like so leaving space for imagination as well in a certain sense yeah and leaving and i suppose if you're writing material if you're writing materials for your own use um it's a little bit different to if you're writing materials for other people to use but if you're writing materials for other people to use i think it's a good idea to leave space for those other people to make it theirs if you like mm. yeah it makes perfect sense to me yes indeed <laughs> yes. <laughs> good <laughs> that's, that's a good start um, what, um continue with uh, what else makes good materials okay for me the best materials um are user friendly and the users are both the learners and any teachers who might be using them and so that means that they're kind of intuitive they flow well you 
Um, I, I always used to say, and I still say, when I do teacher training courses related to materials writing, I always say, do the the mum test or the granny test, and that is to show the materials to. I, I always used to think of my mum. If I could show these materials to my mum, and she would understand what she had to do because she's not, um, you know, she she's she didn't have an education actually my mum so you know she's a great example for this then would she know what to do and if she wouldn't know what to do make it simpler break it down you mm. know make it more obvious use uh, as much support as possible use maybe icons instead of written instructions etc but that sort of test you know could somebody not in our profession not used to the not used to materials not an experienced teacher could they look at them and know immediately what had to be done um and that for me is is always the 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 test of good materials the design as well and mm. it, this kind of links back for me i one thing that's um i really dislike and i'm going to use myself as a an example here i don't <laughs> When I started um, making my own materials, we obviously we didn't have the internet, we didn't have um, hardly, we didn't have many resources at all. And I used to do the typical cut an article out of the newspaper, stick it onto an A4 sheet of paper, add you know tipex out some words for a gap fill, um, add some questions and. Basically, I used to try to fit as much as possible onto that A4 page to keep my photocopying expenses as low as possible mm -hmm. and and thinking that I was giving people more for their money, if you like. And thinking <laughs> back, I mean, I, I really wish I'd kept one of those. Um, I would use it as an example of like what not to do in so many ways because... I, you, I imagine my students probably were horrified. You know, I, there I was handing out these worksheets thinking, oh, my God, I'm so clever. There's so much in here. <laughs> and they were probably looking and thinking, I just what want to I die. To yeah, yeah my, my English teacher hates me. So, um, yeah, the design, it's something I've got more and more interested in, and I'm by no means... Um, an expert in graphic design but i think a lot of it's common sense yeah there needs to be plenty of space white space then um there needs to be a clear route through the materials navigation needs to be easy and not just because not just accessibility for people who might have you know um uh, different new different, yeah, different yeah. Yeah. yeah not only for those people but for everybody because you know and i know and anybody knows that sometimes we we see a website for example and and it's beautifully you know that you want to read it it's welcoming it draws you in and then other times you click on a website and you think oh my god where, where's the delete button you know how you get me out get me out yeah, of here. here yeah 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 so yeah cl clarity that comes it's a part of clarity isn't it a visual clarity rather than a you know, a mental clarity, but it's all links up to me. It's all part of the same thing. I think Sylvina's just said, I think we've all been there and I agree. <laughs> but now we, we obviously know so much more. <laughs> um, and certainly know more about our learners and how learners respond to materials. I always think, um, certainly I like course books that are actually tried out with groups and get getting feedback from the learners directly is really, really important. Yeah, I think it's um, absolutely fundamental, and this is something. And, and this is something that I know Sylvina does, and she likes to get feedback. One thing I I've noticed on social media when she shares a lesson plan that she's written, mm. she asks people to give her feedback if they use it, so that she will then take on board any suggestions I suppose that they have, or and and hopefully bask in the glory of the praise that she gets too because she, which will be well deserved but i think that you don't you you can have an idea of what the materials are going to work like um if you've 
if you're an experienced teacher and you're doing something similar to something you've already seen but until you actually try out materials with learners you can't know for certain that they're flawless um and it, it's important either you you can do it yourself you can ask you can ask um for example if you haven't got a class at the moment but you write materials you can ask a colleague who is teaching if they'll mm. try them out um yeah and just find a way of of testing them i suppose Be i think what what i usually say to um writers who are creating materials either for their own classes or to share or to sell uh, try to imitate the best practice of the traditional publishers because they would never publish a course book without having piloted it had um focus groups feedback um you know and, and mm. we can do too we can do that in a in a in an, in lots of different ways in lots of different ways yep i think sylvine is um very very brave and um and it's it's great to see that she is so open to feedback and she does get a lot of positive stuff and that yeah makes sense i mean why do why do you, why do so many teachers want to create their own materials oh that's a really good question um I think there are different reasons, but and I think they they are very much context driven in in lots of respects. So, for example, in some places where I've worked with teachers, they have to create their own materials because they don't have access to the materials that we we can we kind of take for granted. We're very privileged. Um, you're in Italy. I'm in Spain, and. Mm -hmm. We're, we're extremely privileged in the, the way that we've got so much access to so many materials and teachers around us sharing things, uh, libraries, staff rooms, etc. But in some parts of the world and in some areas within countries as well, it isn't like that and they haven't got stuff and they haven't got enough money um, all the resources that that are available are inappropriate for one reason or another or outdated so they're forced you know they they have to create their own materials um so that's one extreme if you like and then i think that um i think most of the teachers i know are very creative um it, and teaching is is a creative uh, job, isn't it? I mean, we we are communicating, we're play acting, we're having fun, we're playing games, we're doing all these different things. And I think that writing materials is just an extension of that. So obviously, as we get more used to using course books, published materials, whatever, we see gaps where we think, oh, it would be good if, you know, they had something you know different here or mm -hmm. some more or more support here so you know and we start we can i think i started by imitating um you know copying tasks so for example when i was teaching um lots of uh teenagers mm -hmm. one of the i, I I'm, I had some really great students. It was in the Basque country in Spain, in Bilbao, and they loved pair work tasks. They they worked well, and I could see the value in in a in a split crossword, for example, where they'd be practicing, they'd be using lots of language, they'd be really getting into it. Um, and so I think some of the lots of the materials I used to make were things like recreating these split crosswords but using the vocabulary of the unit that i was teaching at the time just to be able to revise the vocabulary i taught the the week before or whatever in a in a, in a fun way etc um yeah and then some teachers want to can see it as um an opportunity to to make to make some extra money because if you start selling your lesson plans or it or you might be noticed by a publisher and they might say would you like to write some 
something for us um and it's a way of moving yeah. into materials writing as a profession and getting paid um for the work sometimes that you're already doing mm. it make it makes sense to to go that much further so yeah lots of are different there, reasons are there any topics or themes that you think work well in general um the what i do know is that the same topics and themes come up again and again mm. um, at, ev at every single age group and every single level okay different you know we can look at them in different ways one topic i think that works well uh and and rarely fails is is food <laughs> yes <laughs> um I don't know why, but I suppose it's one of those things that you know you can you can personalize it in so many ways. You can localize it and globalize it. There's loads of brilliant you know phrasal verbs that you can teach. You can you know it it lends itself to to language learning. Um, um, I think that it, the the key is to whatever topic you're looking at you need to make it relatable for the students so your particular learners so what you know so for example sport um you know if, if you go into a lesson and you're going to just talk about one specific sport like i don't know let's say tennis um there might be tennis fanatics in the class but there might be a few people who who really know nothing and got nothing to say and no thoughts but those people might be interested in another sport or i mean they don't even be interested in sport it's the way you you approach it you know so um i think any topic potentially is a good topic if it arouses the interest of the students and and if it's something that they can yeah it relate to and if they've got react to even if it's um a negative reaction mm -hmm. i don't think it necessarily needs to be a positive reaction in fact you know some of the best lessons might be when you have learners who react negatively to to or, or are divided in their um you know what they think about a particular topic or theme mm. these days of course is we we're starting to see a lot more work being done on um inclusivity and um you know the, it, it, it's just brilliant to see what's being done and this is where teachers are are, are beating the uh or get in the race to to do to publish these things they're getting there quicker than the traditional publishers the same with environmental issues um any kind of global issue that is important at the moment mm. the, the the first materials that we see are coming from teachers not from publishers and and that's and that's great because what teachers are doing um they are recognizing that that their students want to talk about these things or maybe it's not so much that they want to talk about them they are talking about them they're everywhere already seeing them on the telly they're reading about things in the newspaper so they come into class talking about these issues and then opening a course book and maybe being told to you know change the topic to something banal um mm. it, um you know not 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 always obviously some textbooks are some course books are, are brilliant you know i've written some myself <laughs> <laughs> how many you had i think i saw on um how many course books have you written or how many you know how many have you published i i do you know what it's, it's like yeah over hundreds um I mean, there's course books in print, and then there's called digital course books. There's digital courses. I've kind of lost count. And then you have books where you write one book and then you rewrite it, so mm. it becomes another book. Um, and you know, if it's significantly rewritten, I would, I count that as another, another book. So, 
Um, I've never done a proper count. I got I've, when I started counting because I wanted to put some numbers on my LinkedIn profile, <laughs> and when I got to I got to a hundred, and I I left it there because sometimes as well if you write a series of books so I wrote some science books for a publisher in Spain and we wrote six books then we wrote the six workbooks then the six teachers books then we brought out a new edition so that that was like 18 books then another you know I don't know how we would even count these things um but a lot yeah you've been very busy <laughs> i'm very old no, no, you're not. <laughs> no i've i have been busy i think um i write with my husband he is my co-author and almost everything we've published has been a joint um venture and you'll see both of our names on the course book so you could divide that number by two or you could sort of take us as a as a kind of single unit and we'll throw that number around but there's two of us so i al i always say you know to publish publishers get kind of um, a good deal i think when when there is a good partnership for writing and um, they'll get a good deal because steve and i for example we've got different strengths um and weaknesses but we'll but so we know exactly when we get a new project, we know immediately which bits, without even saying which bits I'm going to write, which bits he's going to write. He's better at seeing the big picture. I'm better at, you know, zooming in on the small picture. Mm -hmm. And we proofread each other's work. We read each other's work. We say to each other without any kind of qualms, you know, I might write a reading text and I'll, say can you just read through this and he'll read through it and he might say oh yeah that's good or he might say oh that's really boring i think you should start again um <laughs> so was a bit frustrating but yes but yeah it's, yeah it's really we have to it has to be like that and luckily we we can you know work is work and life is life otherwise we'd have probably got divorced about 20 years ago but um it, it's it seems to work and publishers i think are happy because they know that by the time they get the manuscript you know it's already been kind of looked at very carefully by one other person or you know which mm. is one of the one or the other of us so what a yeah. fantastic what a fantastic team um we do need to go quickly to the news um, and when we come back um we're going to chat a little bit more about the disconnect between theory and practice. That's just to keep you all thinking. Remember, listeners, if you have any questions for, for Kath, please write them in the chat or um, put your hand up to, to ask them directly. Um, I'm going to just pause you there, Kath. Thank you. Okay. And um, we will be back straight after the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development Every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible.
stevewoods.co.uk for educational support in IT and computer science. Coming up, I'm delivering a number of courses. Learn to program in Python is a free one-hour course designed to start you on your way into Python coding. Everything works in a browser, so there's nothing to install beforehand. Join me remotely to learn the basics on Wednesday the 8th of June, 4 o'clock to 5 o'clock. Visit stevewoods.co.uk to start your journey. Are you a state school teacher in England? Why not be a hero this half-term and join me for two days and receive up to 1360 pounds in bursary terms and conditions apply find out more at stevewoods.co.uk if you're listening to this then we know we share one thing in common a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves that's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care we need people like you to help us achieve even more with us you'll be given all the resources and support you need offered a clear path to career progression and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. former Tory ministers have called for immediate action from the government to curb rises in student loan interest rates. Former Business Secretary Greg Clark told The Observer a 12% interest rate on student loans is an outrageous charge that the government must prevent from happening. It is a breach of what students expected that interest rates on loans would be no higher than market rates and it risks frightening off new students from entering higher education, even in courses like science and engineering, at a time when the economy desperately needs these skills. In April, the Institute for Fiscal Studies has calculated that because of current RPI inflation rates, the maximum interest rate on loans paid by those earning £49,130 or more will rise from current rates of 4.5% to an eye-watering 12% for half a year. In Wales, head teachers have said that some primary schools are not ready to introduce the new curriculum for Wales and would like the choice to delay it. More than half of secondary schools have chosen to delay and will not begin teaching the new curriculum until September 2023. And they were given the option in response to concerns that COVID disruption had left schools unable to plan for the new curriculum. NAHT President Karina Hansen, who is also a primary head teacher in Swansea, said, primary schools have understood that they need to start their new curriculum offer in September. We weren't offered that relaxation, secondary schools were. The reassurance we want is that our accountability partners are also clear that schools will be in different places and will need time to refine their curriculum offer. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about virtual tours. Did you know you can go virtually almost anywhere without leaving the classroom? Due to this being an audio podcast, I'd just like to point out to listeners, I did air quotes around the word virtually just then. On Sunday, I tweeted a great list to start from, created by Katie Burke of Good Housekeeping. Before you start asking why someone as cool as me is reading Good Housekeeping, a good list is a good list. I'm going to tweet a different virtual tour at TT Radio every day this week. So keep an eye out if you want to pick up a new virtual tour. So what is a virtual tour? They take many forms, but my favourites are interactive. Go to a place like the Louvre and look around, without the need to buy a ticket, queue, and even have an unobstructed view. Use snipping or print screen to make a storyboard, 
and reflect on your journey for an activity. There are virtual tours for lots of things you wouldn't think of. I found one for the digestion process, where you can look around whilst being swallowed, digested, and yes, it finishes with you being excreted. Lovely. Next time you're looking for a way to explain something, just check and see if there's a virtual tour that can support you. I'll be tweeting at TT Radio 2022 a different tour each day this week. Yet another good reason to check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. Follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. And how about that for uh, a tech? <laughs> um, I, I wonder, wonder what it would be like to be swallowed and then excreted. Oh my goodness! <laughs> um, but yeah, I've got that image in my mind now, and I don't, I don't want it. Can we move on? <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Um, as I said, as I mentioned before, we went to the news. Um, you, you're quite passionate about the disconnect between theory and and practice. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit more about that? Yes. Um, And if I start saying anything that I probably shouldn't, just tell me, just mute me, (laughs) because I know that I've I've upset a few people in the past um, speaking about this. Um, But I... You know, this is this is not personal. This and is, there is no personal no personal references to anyone in particular. No, no, no. Only only in my mind. <laughs> no, I, 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 yeah, I think what I mean, what what um what you're talking about there is the way that um we have materials writers who are. I would say that. 99.999 um and i haven't done any research on this but that's a rough number i throw out there 99.999 percent of the people who are creating materials for classrooms around the world are teachers mm-hmm. and probably about 99.999 percent of academic articles being written about uh, materials design or books articles um you know theor- theoretical stuff if you like about materials writing are being written by people who are not in the classroom um mm. and that is a problem and i i think there are organizations um for example iatefl morsig have tried and, be, and are trying and do a lot of work um, trying to bring the two things together. But I think we there are bridges that we need to build. Um, mm. I think one of the problems is that people working in academia are in a good place to do research. And they do research, they do excellent research, and they get their findings and they publish them in journals that are so expensive that only universities can buy them and mm. only only students at universities or lecturers, teachers can access them. And there are lots of teachers out there who don't even know, I mean, I don't even know, I'm not, not suggesting for a moment that I've got some kind of um, extra information. That, you know, I, I don't know what's available because I haven't got access to these things either. Mm. I, w- I was recently reminded of this. Um, I've recently collaborated on on two academic papers, both neither of which are yet published. Mm. Um, and my in, in, in the first case, especially, um, I was working with Kerry Jones, one, my colleague over on um, ELT Footprint, and two university lecturers, Nair Ibra- Ibrahim and Sarah Mercer, who, yep. who you know. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> those two were the kind of um, academics behind it, if you like, and Kerry and I were the like practice, you know, practitioners and sort of putting our little given our pennies worth, if you like. And we work really well as a team. And I think the article, the finished article is going to be great. And we're trying to make sure that it's open access. Now, one of one of the things that we had to do when we started working, we had to read 
a load of stuff that had already been written so that we could base our stuff on, you know, place it on the shoulders of giants or whatever. Um, but we didn't have access to those things, but we, we got access through the other the other mm. people who did, did have access through the universities. And as I was reading things and coming across more things, I, I just kept thinking all teachers should be able to read this um, if they want to, those who want to, and and maybe not necessarily just read all the academic papers. Um, some of some of it's, the stuff is quite is quite you know lengthy and dry, um, but there should be more people. There should be more ways of getting that information, the key information, out to those teachers who might benefit from it and and it happens sometimes when you see when when we have a maybe a speaker at a conference giving their um reporting yeah their presentation and its findings on research or something but mm. what i've noticed and also i i include myself in this as well is that very often teachers i know that when i used to go started going along to conferences like tesol spain for example i would never go to those presentations because i kind of thought they're not for me they are for other academics um and that and that's not true that's not the case so i don't know what the answer is here but we do have a problem and we do there are this disconnect and I don't know where the fault lies um, and I don't know who can be responsible for building those bridges, but I would like to see more work done in that way. And I suppose ultimately, with as with most of these things, it always or very often comes down to money mm. and who is going to pay for, you know, that, training or, or <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, the research, etc. There should be more research. Um, I, th I think lots of teachers do research, and I think there should be more encouragement um, in schools, for example, more support for teachers to do research, their own research, maybe get time down to be able to put things into practice or have their work um, supported by their you know directors of studies etc this kind of thing so that we get more research being done as well at the grassroots level if you like and yeah i remember i mean i i used to do a I've, i wish i'd done more and I'd, I'd still like to do more research but whenever i've done some small piece of research if you like it's not just illuminating it's very satisfying and then when you talk about what you're talking about you've got something concrete to base your um conclusions on and so for one one example i've got um is when i was teaching i i had this thing in my head we, we had a policy at our school it was a british council center mm. and we had a policy that we had to give our students our students used to come in uh most of them twice a week um for lessons and the policy was that we had to give them homework on both of those days oh. now i yeah and and what obviously what happened there was a lot of students who just didn't do the homework and mostly we'd give them something well, I don't know, I can only speak for myself, but I'd give them something doable and not too time consuming. And, and if it was an exam practice class, I might give them some, you know, a past paper and ask them to do something from it. But I had a theory that the if we allowed more choice in the homework tasks and not just, you know, insisted on doing things a certain way, we'd have better results. So I asked my line manager for permission to try something out over a term and i had two classes that were the same they were first certificate practice uh, for, mm. they were preparing for the first certificate exam and they had the same number of students in each class and they both had classes on tuesdays and thursdays for an hour and a half so it was perfect to do a little experiment with them so what i did was over a 10-week period i gave one class I did what my centre had asked me to do. I gave them 
homework twice a week, um, usually stuff from the workbook that was accompanying the student's book. Mm. Um, and the other class, I gave them a choice. I gave them choices. Um, and I kept a record of how much of, the, of who handed in homework, basically. And so I had this big, um, I, won't, I won't lie and say I had a spreadsheet because I am the world's <laughs> least, like, I mean, I, I hate Excel with a vengeance. So I, what I had was lots of bits of paper and um, colored pencils and, you know, names and things. And when I actually analyzed the results at the end, I, I actually got my friend to make me some pie charts because I didn't know how to make pie charts at the time. But it was overwhelming. There was something like 80% of the students in the class where they had a choice did, you know, did the homework and something like 20% in the other class. And, and I was actually asking them to do the same things. I was just giving them a choice. Um, and this was so exciting. I just thought this is what it feels like to do research, to get results and then share the results and present it. Um, in fact, I, I was probably banging on about that for years afterwards. But it just made me think we should, you know, it's, it's, we don't have to be, we don't have to have a PhD to be able to do classroom research. Definitely. Um, Definitely. And it's, it's, and that kind of result, those kind of things, I think, can have a direct influence on your work and on the teachers around you. I, I mean, my friends then started doing the same experiment with then we were allowed to change things a little bit. And because I, I did an inset session, I think, and shared the results and it's a tiny little thing. Yeah. It's a small little thing, but I think with, when it comes coming back to materials writing, if we are creating materials for students and they, that is some, such a key part of the process in the classroom there needs to be continual research and we should be collecting evidence we should be trying things out we should be feeding back we should be sharing um, and it should all that information then can feed down and into our materials to make them the best they can be yeah, I think Emma Emma Hademan, who is is with us this morning as well, just mentioned that um, that the one of the problems is time. Not all teaching centres or schools actually allow for that kind of work yeah. to take place. So yeah, absolutely, I, it, and and it's about it's time and money. So mm. you know, I things can be done in small ways um things should be encouraged but maybe something like um it doesn't even have to be money it can be for example if a, if a school if a teacher in a school is keen to do something like this then maybe the supporting people around like the the director of studies or whatever the system is in each school what they could do is say like if you do this and you get your results you know we'll will um will support you will sponsor you to present your findings at a local conference or something mm. like this and and that kind of um encouragement and, and impetus is, is is priceless i think and, and great experience if they then want to go on and do something at ayatefel for example it's a good way to practice I used to have that when I was at British Council, we used to have a teacher's programme and so teachers could present their work or what they've been doing with their students to Italian teachers and that worked really nicely and was insightful for both, <laughs> I think. Yeah, definitely. I think um, it's always interesting as well to to get, get together with other teachers um, I mean, I, I know I, I've, I've written about writing buddies, etc. but collaborations. So, you know, you don't have to do things on your own. You could, if you've got an area of interest, um, I don't know anything really, extensive reading, using authentic materials, uh, exam prep for a particular exam, and you find a group of like-minded people with the same interests, together you could do, you know, you could 
you know, like we 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 do this thing like sometimes with in classes show and tell. Yeah, mm. I love things like that because yeah. it requires so little preparation. You get so the students come in and they show you something and tell you about it. Um, you could have something like that for teachers. So teachers could meet once a month or once a fortnight, whatever, and in turns they could share a summary of some research that they've read or an article and, and just share our information because we do it naturally sometimes with colleagues or friends. But I think if we could do it more in a more in a semi-structured way, if you like, mm. so like like a kind of book club, but for professional development. So you know, I go off and read about this. You go off and read about that, and then we'll meet up and we'll share the main the summaries of what we've learned, and that kind of thing can be invaluable. We don't even need our centres to to be involved. Wow. Kath, I've, I'm running, and we're running out of time, and I've still got all these questions to ask you. Um, oh yeah, I, I, I'll tell you what I'm doing as well. It's I've got my phone in front of me, obviously, because I'm speaking on it, and, and I'm so rubbish at tech, and I keep accidentally putting my thumb on a little heart and loving what I'm saying myself. So please, that's not me loving what I'm saying. It's it's me maybe loving being here and getting overexcited. That's, that's right. You love having a chat to me. <laughs> um, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years? Um, perhaps when giving it, if we were giving advice to to teachers who are interested in moving over to ELT materials, what kind of lessons have you learned from sort of negotiating, moving or well, moving from fee based writing to sort of negotiating royalties? Okay, that's a really good question. Um, in fact, I think I need to write down all the things I've learned, um, lessons learned over the years. Recently, for I don't know how many people are aware of this, but recently, over the few years, starting a few years ago, uh, course book writers, um, in the past, course book writers, there were fewer for a start and we'd see the same names coming up again and again and and they'd write a whole series of books uh you know so if a book came out they would write every level etc and they'd get a decent royalty and they'd you know make money over a number of years and as time went by um what's what's been happening is royalties have been phased out and fee-based working has been introduced and sometimes the fee is is fine it's good fee and and it's it's you know there's nothing wrong with that but um but having a royalty is is if the book sells obviously is 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 really nice um for obvious reasons so one of the things I learned um, when the when the changes were all going through and um, and I've never had huge royalty percentages for anything I've written actually compared to some of the writers from years ago um, but when through the period when the changes were being made I was I was offered a um, to write a they asked me to write a, a publisher asked me to write a course book and they said that there would be no royalty it would be a fee and it was the first year that they were doing this and one of the things that i always did for this publisher when i wrote for them besides get getting paid my royalties was i would spend lots of time traveling around the country doing webinars giving teacher training and basically promoting the book through teacher training so I said to this commissioning editor, well, okay, I, I, the fee looks fine, but um, I won't be available for any promotion. I won't be able to do teacher. Don't just take it for granted that you're going to be able to ring me up and ask me to go to the other end of the country on a train to give a talk about this. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, if you will agree to pay me a very small royalty, in addition to this fee that you've offered me then i will do i will sign in the contract that i'm available to do x number of webinars or whatever mm -hmm. so they they agreed and they gave me a small royalty and that 
particular course book I, um, I, I didn't make much money from the royalties but then a couple of years later they brought out a new version of it in a different country and because I'd already signed that agreement to have that small royalty they had to offer it to me for the other country too so I, I won if you like in that respect <laughs> and I think you need to yeah be be bold negotiating if you don't ask you don't get um the worst they can say is no um but they expect to negotiate so you know be act like a business owner which if you are freelance and self-employed it's you very are difficult a to do owner. yeah no but it's difficult isn't it to be courageous especially when you're starting out i think um, yeah, very. I, 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 taking notes. <laughs> yes, funny actually, because I've, I've actually found myself, you know, blushing as I'm writing an email, you know, cringing at the thought of whoever's going to read it is going to think, oh my god, she's so cheeky. And then I speak to other people, and I think, no, no, they, I need to be, um, I need to have this persona. You know, when you're a teacher, sometimes you, I mean, I, I'm, you go into class and you sometimes put this persona on you, 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 you're being yourself, but you're being much stronger. Maybe you're being mm. or pretending to be in a good mood when really you're in a bad mood. And I think we need to get that business person persona on when we are negotiating with um, publishers, especially they are businesses at the end of the day exactly. and they will be you know used to negotiating and i suppose if you don't ask you don't get <laughs> absolutely yeah the, absolutely you know, only, can, they can either say yes or no and um it's yeah that's definitely food for thought <laughs> yeah and they're not gonna think i mean the work you know they aren't gonna think oh my god that catherine billsborough you know don't do any work with her because she asks for more money you know, because at the end of the day, these people that we're dealing with, they're individuals and they're usually lovely people and they're just representing the company in that role at that time. But they'd probably be thinking, good on you, Kath, you know. <laughs> for, for And in fact, I know this to be true because some of these people have become friends. So, there and we talk. Yeah. Days we talk. And that's another big change um over the years and now we've got this fantastic community we talk about things we let off steam we have a laugh we share experiences we support each other um that didn't exist in the past in the same way as it does today so anybody coming into things today they're in a much better place to start off with and yeah i think yeah certainly for um for social media um and uh, that's allowed us to and I think lockdown and lots of other things has helped the ELT community itself to sort of join forces and really share ideas and common goals it's, um, yeah that's been really uplifting I think if anything if anything if I've learned anything from the pandemic and the lockdown mm. it's that the majority of people who work in our profession want to connect want to help want to collaborate want to join in want to listen and and that's fantastic and the few out there that might not feel like that well they're kind of gonna just disappear into the void because you know they if they don't join in it's going to be a big loss for them so emma emma's Good. just said yeah. too right <laughs> <laughs> um we probably let's let's go for another can you stay for another five minutes um yeah sure i just um i noticed recently you were um you were asking um teachers and, and writers what makes a good brief um do you have time <laughs> to, <laughs> to share oh yeah i mean or should we just wait for your blog i'm not sure just, okay no things that you learned this can be a teaser for my blog. I was prompted to write a. Um, basically, I had a, I had a recent experience with a with a bad brief um, that caused me grief 
in fact there's a poem in the making there isn't there I might actually <laughs> sit in the garden and write a poem about it but um, I had a really bad experience and I I thought I'm going to write a blog post about briefs and ha- the the way that not having a good brief the impact that can have because I actually found myself sitting in front of my computer in tears and oh. yeah oh. no yeah that it's not it's I was I mean I was so stressed I'd used 75% of my writing my allocated writing time trying to work out what I needed to write and that I'm that's there's that's I mean I'm talking days here I'm not talking about months um obviously but my I just withdrew from this particular project and then it got me to thinking I'll write a blog post about this so I put a question out there in different groups asking for any colleagues to share their thoughts and experience about briefs and of course I've been inundated with um horror stories um and also it has to be said people saying what makes a good brief because it can Mm. make or break a project um because you can end up like I ended up feeling the other day sitting there I just felt so stupid because I thought why why don't I understand this Mm. why why you know am I really so stupid that I can't understand this brief and 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 then I started thinking about less experienced writers who might be in the same situation and actually leave leave the job you know not work as a writer again because they it's such a bad thing anyway i've got so i've got all this um really you know great sort of um information from so many people and i'm not going to be naming names or anything but i will (laughs) write i am going to write a blog post and then i thought i would write down i thought what i do was because I love the things like this where um, we can flip things on their head. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a brief for publishers on how to write briefs. Wow. <laughs> and I'm going to publish that somewhere. And yeah. I want that. If anything I ever do in this world goes viral, I want it to be that. <laughs> I'm half joking. I'm half joking, but I am gonna. I'm gonna write a brief on how to write briefs, and I'm gonna use everybody else's experience to inform that blog post. It's not all gonna come from my own experience. I think. So, I, I think I will write to in private. I have. I have a story. I've just remembered it. Please I had do. Remo- I had removed it from my from my memory. I think that's yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? I think there is a special place in, you know, Dante's Inferno. I can't remember how many hells he's got. Is it seven? But I think there's an eighth one. And around there, there are millions and millions of memories of briefs that people have like thrown into the, <laughs> into the unknown to like they've they've rid them from their consciousness and they're floating around somewhere because really they, oh, horrible, horrible. Oh, thank you, Kath. Thank you for that. And um, we, if people want to find you, where can we direct them? Because they'll obviously now want all want to read your blog post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you. So I've got a blog um, on my website, which is Creating ELT Materials. And I'm on LinkedIn, Catherine Billsborough. You can find me there. Wonderful. Yeah, I, w- I do recommend you follow Kath because she always produces really really thoughtful and um important thought uh posts uh, not just about um materials writing also lots of other things that you do but that will be for another show <laughs> <laughs> and um please do look out for kath online um she's really helpful if you're particularly if you are starting out and want to get into writing um you your book also um uh, creating primary materials as well is a wonderful resource if you are getting started have i forgotten anything kath <laughs> yeah i've well i forgot to mention that i'm writing a new book so um we need to meet again when that's ready for publication but i am writing a a book on how to create 
ELT materials, um, drawing on my own learnings and also what I've learned from evaluating hundreds and hundreds of teachers' materials. So um, hopefully that will be out at the end of the summer if I put my skates on. (laughs) We look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to talk this morning. It was wonderful, as always, to chat with you. And um, thank you. And thank you, Emma, for coming, Sylvina. Where's Harry gone? He was here. And Holly, hi. Um, Thank you, everyone, for coming. And we will meet again next week. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Kath. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. It's been a ball. I've really enjoyed it. Bye, everybody. Have a good day. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.